Man, that's pretty epic, isn't it? My word. <laughs> welcome campuses and welcome to all those watching online. It's great to be here as we share the message today. You know, there are fights in life that we can avoid and there are some fights that we cannot some fights come looking for us. We didn't ask for them. We didn't want them, but they're there nonetheless, and we're forced to engage. But then there's fights that are easy to avoid that we should try to avoid at all costs. For, for example, an easy one to avoid is this, looking to your wife and saying, you know, honey, it, these clothes wouldn't be quite so wrinkled if you folded them right out of the dryer because she knows your hands aren't broken and you could have folded them yourself. <laughs> Going down to Guitar Center to purchase $20 software and coming home with a $2,000 keyboard you did not discuss first is generally a bad idea and will get you a magic moment at home. Not that I've ever done that recently. <laughs> Oh, here's a good one. Saying to your wife while she's in the hospital in labor, hey, do you mind if I turn on the game is a bad idea. Or following that one up while she's in labor with, so honey, um, when do you think you'll be ready for another one? <laughs> All bad ideas. And not every hill in life is a hill to die on. Have you ever met somebody? It seems like every single thing is an argument. Everything is a hill to die on. I mean, the truth is, the person in front of you, they will see that the light is green. They are not your enemy. They are not out to get you. Quit yelling at them. They can't hear you. You have to save those special mountain-to-die-on moments for the very important things in life. Things like the correct way to load toilet paper in the container. It goes on the top, okay? The top, amen? Amen. Bathroom 101. <laughs> As Christians, we are to seek peace anytime we can. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 14, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Christians do not go looking for a fight. We are not bullies. We are not a violent people. But sometimes trouble will come looking for us. There are times in life when peace is not possible. Even when we turn from evil and when we do good, when we seek peace and we pursue it. Sometimes trouble just will come looking for you. Now let's catch up a little bit to where we are in the hero's journey along the way. When we started the journey, we, we realized that at the beginning, there is something that shakes up our hero, something that causes them to face the reality that they were made for much more. This is the beginnings of change. They are awakened to explore the possibilities that they are made for something else, that they exist for something bigger than themselves. And then there's this point where they begin to struggle with these new ideas and these new beliefs. They struggle with the idea, do I want to jump into this or do I want to run away from this? And at some point, they dive in and commit to this new journey. And it's at this time that our hero begins to face challenges and begins to be tested. 
Now, for some of you, this ought to sound familiar because this is the Christian journey as well. At some point in our lives, we are awakened to begin exploring new ideas. We begin to ask ourselves and have this idea, hey, it just seems like I'm made for much more than this life I'm living that maybe we are a people who have forgotten who they are. And so we begin to dive in and to learn about this new life, this new adventure that Jesus is calling us to, and we begin to believe many of those things. And at some point, we make a decision to go all in, and we surrender our will and our way to the life that Jesus Christ is calling us to, this new life in the kingdom of God. And it's precisely at this time when we surrender our will and our way and follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly that many of us can attest we are suddenly against a very real enemy. We are being tested. We are being challenged. Things don't seem to go right. Something goes wrong. That's just part of the hero's journey. And this happened to Jesus as well, too. When we read the account in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is baptized at the start of his earthly ministry, and immediately he is taken out to the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he is put to the test and tempted by Satan three separate times. When you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in this great adventure and this new life that he's calling us to, you will be tested. You will be challenged. Your friends and your family may start to mock you. They may laugh at you. They may tease you. They may not even want to hang out with you anymore. Why? Because you're now weird. You have changed. You have become different. And you may feel pressure to go backwards to your old ways, your old habits, and to compromise. But there's something we need to remember about this journey with Jesus Christ that's very important. And that's this. Expect trouble when you faithfully follow God. Expect trouble when you follow God. You will face adversity. You will face challenges. And some of you maybe have been Christians for many years. You made a decision to follow Christ years ago. But over time, for whatever reason, some sin has crept back into your life. Maybe you didn't properly deal with an old bad habit or an old addiction. Maybe you've not forgiven somebody or you've not dealt with something in your past. And you've made a conscious decision to engage that through Jesus Christ. You want to see healing. You want to overcome it. And the minute you begin to take deliberate steps to find hope and healing, you find that you are suddenly under attack, that it seems like things aren't going your way, that it's harder. But we must remember that the Christian journey is one of transformation. Just like Clark Kent becomes Superman or Peter Parker becomes uh, Spider-Man or Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk, when we fully commit to this life in Jesus Christ, we are changed. We are no longer our old selves. We are raised into new life. We die to who we were and we become something new, something becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Today we're going to talk about a guy named Hezekiah. He was a king in a country called Judah about 2,700 years ago, and he was determined to serve God and live for God wholeheartedly in everything he did, and that put him face to face with a very real enemy as a result. 
Our story is in 2 Kings chapter 18, if you want to turn in your Bible there, but because time is limited and we can't read the entire chapter, I'm going to catch us up to a certain point in that, if I may. Hezekiah becomes king of Judah at a time when Jerusalem and Judah and Israel as a whole had turned their back on God completely. Now, Sean talked last week about the fact that Israel had become a divided nation. Judah was the southernmost nation. Jerusalem was its capital. And they were worshiping the gods of all the countries around them. Even the former king, Hezekiah's father, had placed an altar to a foreign god in the temple of God in Jerusalem, which is an abomination. Judah had been subjugated by Hezekiah's father to making payments to Assyria in exchange for protection from all the countries around them, even though God has, had expressly forbidden Israel from getting into treaties and, and engagements like that with surrounding countries. But Hezekiah decides he wants to clean house. He wants to serve God. He wants to live for God. And so he begins to remove all of the pagan altars and he begins to remove all of the things and symbols that are distracting the Israel people from wholehearted worship of God. And he decides to clean up the temple as well too. He removes that pagan uh, altar his father had put in and he makes improvements to it. He even improves the doors by putting gold on them and bringing them back to their original splendor. Hezekiah decided to remove all the things in Israel that were distracting them from wholehearted worship of God. And it's true in our lives as well. As we make a decision to follow Jesus in all that we do, when we dive all in and surrender our will and our way to follow him, we're going to have to look into our own lives and ask, what things are distracting me from having wholehearted worship with God? What idols do I have? What things in my life need to be removed and are keeping me from being everything God wanted me to be? We are going to have to do some house cleaning as well. But one of the things we have to realize as we begin that journey of house cleaning and removing the things that get in the way of our worship of God is that it will not mean we will not face trouble. In fact, as Hezekiah did the right things, as he removed the pagan altars, as he got the temple back to where it needed to be, he found the enemy knocking on his doorpost. Trouble came looking for him. And the point is this, as you determine to do the right things for God as well too, as you determine to serve God in all that you do, trouble will come looking for you as well. It cannot be avoided. And that's exactly what happened. We pick up the story in 2 Kings 18, verse 13, and we read this. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Hezekiah had broken off the treaties with Assyria and had stopped making payments to them, and they came to collect. Just because you do the right thing doesn't mean you can avoid trouble. We continue. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lahish. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. 
The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah of Judah 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. And at this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord with and gave it to the king of Assyria. There's a couple things I want us to work through here. If you're like me a little bit, you may ask the question, how much exactly is 30 talents of gold? And I will let you know that 30 talents is today's equivalent of one metric ton of gold, about 2,200 pounds of gold. This is a one metric ton gold coin from Australia to give you an idea of the size of it. It is valued at about 35 million U.S. dollars. Try getting change for that at the grocery store. And then imagine 10 more coins like that in silver. We're talking a lot of money here. The second thing we need to realize is that when the enemy showed up, Hezekiah tried to pay off the enemy in gold and silver. He tried to buy his way out of the situation. Now, I'm not trying to pick on Hezekiah here. The Bible records that he was a man that held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. Later, the Bible would record that there had never been a king like him in Judah and never would be. But what I want to remind you is that Hezekiah was human just like you and I. And just like you and I, Hezekiah was capable of making mistakes and had to learn some things the hard way. There were some lessons Hezekiah had to learn in life just like you and I. And one of those things that Hezekiah would learn is this. God-sized problems require supernatural solutions. God-sized problems require supernatural solutions. We have a very real enemy that we face. Our enemy is supernatural. And while God is more powerful, we must never underestimate our enemy who is very powerful. And what Hezekiah was trying to do here is he was trying to solve a supernatural problem through human means, through human methods. And he was about to find out it wouldn't work. And what's interesting is what the Bible said about how he paid the king, what he did to pay the king of Assyria. One of the things he did is he stripped off the gold that he had put on the temple doors, which meant this. He had gone backwards on the progress that he had made. He had gone backwards on some of the things he had accomplished. He was compromising. And just like Hezekiah, when problems arise, we too have to be careful. You may be tempted to compromise what you believe. When problems arise, you may be tempted to go backwards on some of the progress you've made. And we have to be careful about that, which leads to a very important question I need to ask you. What have you compromised in your walk with Christ? 
In what areas of your life have you compromised in your walk with Christ? Sometimes someone will come up to me and they'll say, man, I just remember there was this time when it just seemed like God was alive in my life. I was excited about it. Great things were happening. I was on fire for the Lord. But that just doesn't really seem how it is today. And one of the first questions I would ask you is this. What area have you compromised in your walk with Jesus Christ? Where have you gone backwards? When you confront the enemy and when you confront evil, they will go on the attack. And we will be faced with the temptation to go backwards in our journey. We may be faced with the temptation to try to solve it by human means or to compromise on what we believe, but we cannot do that. We must hold firm at those times. And what we must remember is this. We are changed to bring change. What do you mean by that, Jason? I mean, we've been changed to bring change. This new life with Jesus, this death and this resurrection that we have, we haven't been changed just to be better people and to lead better lives. We have been changed to bring the message of hope and healing into the world. We have been changed to confront evil, to confront injustice. We are the hands and feet of God in the world. We are the light that shines out in the darkness and the darkness hates it. We are the change. And we bring change to the world. Clark Kent did not change into Superman to show us how great he looked in tights. He was changed to face injustice. He was changed to fight evil in the world. And we too have been changed to confront the evil forces of this world, to confront the powers that would come against them, and to stand up for what is right. And as Hezekiah will learn, you cannot always buy your way out of a situation. You can't just throw money at a problem and hope it goes away. Evil cannot be ignored. There are not always shortcuts. Sometimes you have to just fight the enemy head on. The reality is sometimes we have to fight. As Christians, as the people of God, there are times it will not be enough to simply sit in our chair and be observers. There are times where we will have to fight. Sometimes we're just going to have to engage. Sometimes we have to stand up for what is right in the eyes of God. Sometimes we are the voice for those who have no voice. Sometimes we are the crutch for those who cannot stand. There are times we will not be able to avoid the fight. And it's precisely what happened with Hezekiah as we continue the story in 2 Kings 18, 17. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer and his field commander with a large army from Lahish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Hezekiah had paid the king of Assyria exactly what he asked. 
He had fulfilled his end of the bargain, and yet the king of Assyria came anyways. Why? Watch this with me. Targeting me won't get their money back. I knew the mob wouldn't go down without a fight, but this is different. They've crossed the line. You crossed the line first, so you squeezed them, you hammered them to the point of desperation. And in their desperation, they turned to a man they didn't fully understand. Criminals aren't complicated, Alfred. We just need to figure out what he's after. With respect, Master Wayne, perhaps this is a man you don't fully understand either. A long time ago, I was in Burma. My friends and I were working for the local government. They were trying to buy the loyalty of tribal leaders by bribing them with precious stones. But their caravans were being raided in a forest north of Rangoon by a bandit. So we went looking for the stones. But in six months, we never met anyone who traded with him. One day, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. So why steal them? Well, because he thought it was good sport, because some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Church, listen to me. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Some problems cannot be bought off with money. Some people cannot be reasoned with. Sometimes evil is just evil, and it looks you straight in the eyes, and it dares you to get in its way or to do something about it. Evil is determined to destroy you. It cares only about itself. It pays no mind to others and exists only to consume. Ignoring evil will not make it go away. Pretending it's not there does not absolve you of your responsibility, and failing to engage it is to forget who you are. We are the people of God. His image on earth, he shines his light through us. And when people see us, they are to see this living God at work on this earth. And we are the people who are called to stand up to the world and to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, enough. Amen? Amen. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Beth Cosson to talk about some of the ways that we as a church and as a denomination are confronting evil throughout the world. Watch this interview with me if you could. Beth, a lot of people know you as Pastor Sean's wife, but don't necessarily know what it is you do during the week or what you're involved in. Can you tell them a little bit about that? I'd love to. Thanks so much, Jason, for asking me to come in and talk a little bit about that. Um, I've been honored and privileged over the last two years to spend time in a developing initiative called the Wesleyan Justice Network. Um, this is an effort that has happened within the Wesleyan Church to really give some some voice uh, to our efforts in stream, acting in streams of injustice. And so um, it's been a really exciting journey, a really cool thing. I'm obviously field staff because I live here in the Quad Cities, but I travel quite a bit representing the Wesleyan Church as we engage with issues surrounding human trafficking and orphans and vulnerable children, uh, gender-based violence, um, and also ethical consumption. And so, you know, the scope of those things is something that sometimes people, I, I think they feel like, you know, oh, I know those are problems, but I don't really have a handle on it. So I thought it might be helpful if we just kind of unpacked a few of those statistics around those issues and, and then kind of go from there. 
So what are some of those statistics? Tell us a little bit about that, if you could. Well, for example, let's take the issue of human trafficking. I think a lot of times um, people are, are, are becoming more and more aware in America that this is a problem, but they don't really have a hand on it. And so, you know, right now, um, worldwide, there are estimated to be almost 30 million people in slavery, which wow. is more than at any time. If you took all the people during the transatlantic slave trade, this far surpasses that. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at the, the value of a person um, during the transatlantic slave trade, a slave was worth what would be 40,000 US dollars to us right now. But in today's economy, a person can be bought and sold for $90. You're kidding. No. And so like the disparity in that, you can see that the problem has really exponentially grown mm -hmm. and, and it's become really a worldwide epidemic. Um, human trafficking is the second most lucrative illegal trade happening today, surpassed only by the illegal drug trade. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, you, you think about that and think, wow. And the thing is, I think we think, oh, well, that's happening somewhere else. But the reality, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking, organ trafficking, all those things are happening in the United States as well. We don't get a pass on those. Beth, you mentioned it before. Christians might be tempted, particularly maybe here in America, to think these things don't really have anything to do with me. They don't have anything to do with my day-to-day -day activities or the sphere of influence I may be in. What would you have to say to someone who might think that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a common feeling, especially when we're talking about such big problems and we feel powerless or insignificant in the face of it. Um, but I like how Dr. Martin Luther King wrote about it in his letters from a Birmingham jail when he said that, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I think we as Christians really need to look at that and say, well, well what does that mean for me? And, and is there a response for me? And so, you know, I think about an issue that I, that I interact with quite a bit, um, the issue of gender-based violence, for example, and how 117 million women are missing in the world today because of gendercide, because of choices that are being made to really reduce the population of women. And, and I think about how that plays out then in violence against women. In the New York Times, um, just on March the 9th, um, the findings were released from the UN that said 35% um, of women will experience physical violence wow. against them in their lifetime. And that, that girls under the age of 18, one in 10 girls under the age of 18, will be forced to have sex against her her will. And so I think about that and I think those are statistics that really um, translate into the United States. Those, those, it takes into account what's happening in the United States. In the United States alone, one in four women will, will be a victim of domestic violence. And so we have to say in our churches, the reality is that the that, that women that are coming to us are coming representing that one in four women will be a victim of domestic violence. One last quick question, if I could. Before you mentioned some of those statistics that involved local problems, mm -hmm. things like child abuse, spousal abuse, mm -hmm. and so forth, what would you say to anybody that might be out listening to us right now, hearing what you're saying, mm -hmm. and is being affected by that? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I would... I mean, if, if you're a victim of trafficking or you know of someone that is, there's a national um, hotline that, that we're going to put the number up in this video. And that's a, that's a resource that's manned 24-7, 365. They take tips from all over the country. That's if you're a victim of trafficking or if you know of someone who is. You know, now that I've been involved in this work, I've had people in the Quad Cities approach me on many occasions to talk to me about labor trafficking situations that they think it might be going on or potential uh, child exploitation and things like that. And so this is a great, I point them to the hotline because this is their job mm -hmm. to vet this. They work with um, 
federal, state, and local law enforcement to mm -hmm. get them involved in, a, in an appropriate way. And so we'll have that number on there, and that's a great um, thing. There, the domestic violence hotline as well, we'll put that number on as well because that's a similar thing. If you're a victim, victim of it or you're aware of someone who is, um, interacting with people who are professionals in that, I mean, that's really a lot of what the network has done is to try to build relationships credibly in many different places to help people get the help that they need. And there's help that's out there. Um, they're just, honestly, there just isn't enough of it, and we want to continue to mobilize people to, to be a part. And if need be, they can come find you, come find Absolutely. me, talk to the pastor of their church to Absolutely. get more information and some next steps as well, too. Absolutely. Hey, I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today to talk to us about this incredibly relevant issue. And we just wish you the best in all your activities, what you're doing. Keep us informed along the way, will you? Thanks, Jason. Thanks. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Psalm 94:16 says this, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Which gets us to our so what moment today. Let me start that by asking you a question, if I may. First, what problems are you trying to solve without God? What issues in your life, what things, what battles are you trying to engage without God? Not picking on Hezekiah again, but it's interesting that up to this point in the story, the Bible is silent on him seeking God in prayer and going to get godly counsel. Doesn't mean he didn't do it, it's just the Bible's silent on it up to this point. And as Hezekiah tries to do the right things, he, he wants to live for God to serve him wholeheartedly. He removes the idols and the distractions that get in the way of wholehearted worship of God that finds him face to face with the enemy. And the enemy shows up. They send him a letter. Here in a minute, we're going to read it. And what's interesting about this letter is you can almost hear the hissing of a snake in it as you read it, the, the serpent speaking through it mocking God and mocking Hezekiah. Maybe you're in the same place. You're trying to live for God. You're trying to do the right things. You're trying to serve God with all your heart. But it seems like there's these voices speaking to you. That you're confronted with problems and trouble of all sorts. In 2 Kings 19, we read this, verse 10. This is the letter from the king of Assyria to Hezekiah. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the other countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did not the gods of those nations that were destroyed by my predecessors not deliver them? Have you ever heard that? 
When you confront the enemy, when you try to do the right things, when you try to live for God, the enemy will come after you. The enemy will mock you. The enemy will mock your God. The enemy will look at you and say, do not be deceived. Your God will not save you. See what I have done. See what I have destroyed. Do you really think you will be delivered? Which leads us to a second important question, and that's this. Where are you tempted to give up the fight? Where are you tempted to give up the fight? Where are you vulnerable? Where can the enemy hedge his way in to your life? Where are you tempted to compromise or to go backwards in your journey with Jesus Christ? Sometimes we will be faced with insurmountable odds and God-sized problems. Just to put this in perspective for you, archaeologists say that at this time, Jerusalem had about 25 to 30,000 inhabitants. We would read later that the Assyrian army consisted of, of, of at least 180,000 fully trained soldiers. It was a very real enemy and very real situation. And it's at this time and at this moment that Hezekiah does perhaps maybe what he should have done from the start and what we are called to do when we are faced with insurmountable odds as well and when we are faced with evil in the world. He went to the temple. He fell on his face. He put the letter from the king of Assyria out in front of him and he cried out to God. And today... I'm going to end with that prayer as well, Hezekiah's prayer. But perhaps it is your prayer as well. Perhaps you are facing a very real enemy. Perhaps you are facing a situation that seems too big for you. Perhaps you are trying to come against it through your own means and through your own might. When this is a very real supernatural enemy requiring a supernatural solution. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to read this prayer aloud. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I have placed it inside your worship guide as well because there's a reality that you may need to read this several times in the coming week. As you choose to live for God and do the things that God is calling you to do and remove the idols in your life and the distractions you too may come face to face with a very real enemy. And like Hezekiah, you may have to get on your knees, fall before God, and cry out to him. So I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes if you could. This is Hezekiah's prayer. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. And now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Dear Lord, you are God of all. You hear what the enemy is saying to your church.
you hear the hissing of the snake in their ears, mocking the living God and mocking his people. Deliver us now from that evil. Set us free to shine our lights in the evil of the world and the injustice of the world so that they may see that there is hope and healing through Jesus Christ. And for one reason and one reason alone, Lord, that every knee will bow to the Lord God who reigns on high for your glory and your glory alone. We ask these things from the great I am. Amen.